You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor of preaching and theology here at Mission Church. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's no worries at all. You can follow along by checking out the side screens, all the texts, and we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. It's going to be up there. Today we're continuing our teaching series through the book of, book of Acts that we've entitled Empowered for Jesus' Mission. And why have we called this series that? It's just simple. Acts is all about what Jesus is doing from his throne in heaven to empower his church in the here and now. And I saw this become a reality in my life at 19 years of age. You see, when I was about 19 years old, I thought God might be calling me to be a pastor. However, the ministers and the pastors in my church didn't think God was calling me. They knew God was calling me. So I went on this trip with a bunch of high school students to a camp. And on the way back, the youth pastor said, when we do our celebration service, there's going to be about 200 people there. Travis, I want you to get up, and for about five minutes, I want you to talk about what Jesus did in your life at camp, and I want you to use the Bible. Now, I looked at Scott, who was my youth pastor, and I said, absolutely not. He looked back at me, and he said, you don't have a choice. And I can remember there, sitting there as a 19-year-old in the church, so people started to come in. I was given an outline of how the service would progress, and I saw my name. And as each stage of that service went along, and it got closer and closer, I felt my heart race. I got up there on the stage. I was monotonous in my tone. My hands were sweaty. My mouth was dry. And I felt like I had to pee the whole time. For five minutes, and it seemed like eternity, I talked about what Jesus did in my life from the Bible. I stepped off the stage and I found my mother who was there. I looked at my mom. And now you've got to understand something about my mom. She is my biggest supporter. But she also is very truthful with me. And when I looked at her, I said, Mom, how did I do? And she said, oh, Travis, you need Jesus' help. I went home that night, and I laid down on the floor of my room, and I just confessed to God, God, if you want me to be a preacher, then you've got to give me the power. Please forgive me for getting in the way of what you want to do. And from this point forward, I will not allow any selfish ambition or vain conceit to get in the way of you using me. Several months later, I had the opportunity to preach at an elementary camp. Again, I was freaked out. Yet as my time came to step up on that stage, it all changed. That night, kids gave their lives to Jesus. Several of the leaders took a step closer to Jesus in their walk with Jesus. I had some family members that were adults that became Christians that night. I walked back to my dorm room and I was in awe. Why? Because never in my life would I have envisioned me doing what I'm doing right now. I never thought God would call me to be a pastor. You see, today we're going to see when Jesus sends his spirit upon his followers, they share. You see, it's not just pastors who share. It's Christians who share. When Jesus sends his spirit to indwell your life, to fill you up, he pushes you to what? To tell other people about him. But what do they share? That is a great question. And it's in Acts chapter 2. We're going to discover this. Check out what it says in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. 
Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Now, some of you read that and you're like really wondering what's going on. We're talking about drunk people, right? Well, last week, if you were with us, you saw that the Spirit came upon Jesus' followers and 120 of them went out and started preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with others. Now, in that region, there were people from every nation under heaven. And so what God did is through the power of the Spirit, gave them the ability to speak the known dialects of those nations that were amongst them. Sharing Jesus in a way that people could understand in their own native tongue. Now, some who were there thought this was a little weird. And they assumed that they were drunk. Yet Peter stands up and says, guys, we are not like Alan Jackson or Jimmy Buffett. We do not think it's five o'clock somewhere. Our trinity is not Jack Daniels, Jim Bean, or Captain Morgan. Don't be mistaken here. We are not drunk. I don't know about you, but when I'm around somebody who's a little bit intoxicated, does their speech get better or worse? Most often, worse, right? And I've never been around somebody who was intoxicated that all of a sudden learned a language they had no idea of, and then be able to speak that in a dialect just as good as the locals. Never seen it. Yet Peter stands up, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to what? Preach. Now, don't miss this. This is the first time Peter has ever preached. And don't forget where Peter is. He's in Jerusalem. This is his home turf, if you will. Every single year, people who are able would travel into Jerusalem for Passover that we talked about a couple weeks ago for Pentecost we talked about yesterday, or last Sunday. You see, this was home turf. And when the Spirit comes upon them and the crowd gathers, what do they do? They share. Now, this should not come as a surprise to them or to us. You might remember from chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said very clearly, we keep going back to this verse, but what did Jesus say? That when my Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if we're honest, many of us look at that verse and we're like, I'm okay with Judea. I'm okay with Samaria. Why? Because it's over there. Right? If I was to come and say, hey, we are going to take a mission trip to Ireland, where Pastor Andrew is, where we help support him. Many of us would go, yes and amen. I'll be a witness over there. I'll go on that trip. Or if I say, hey, we're going to go to Turkey. Right? And we're going to go see Pastor Karen, who we support. And in Talia, Turkey, it's beautiful. Many of us will go, yes, I'll go be a witness there. But if I was to stand up here and say, hey, guys, we're going to Las Vegas. Who's in it? Some of us are like, uh. Or what if I went even farther and said, hey, we're going to go to your neighborhood. Uh, we're going to go to your street. We're going to go to your job. We're going to go to your home. Some of us are like, well, hold up, Jesus. I have to see those people tomorrow, right? Many of us are okay with the Judeas and the Samarias, but what about Jerusalem? This is Peter's home turf. He knows this place, and he stands up full of the Spirit with boldness and starts to preach. I know what this feels like. When uh, I was early in my pastorate, uh, my brother uh, asked me, he said, Hey, Trav, will you do my wedding? And I said, sure, I'll do your wedding. He said, however, I want you to do something at my wedding. At the very end, when you dismiss me and Sarah, his wife, 
He said, I want you to preach the gospel to those who are there. I remember looking at my brother and I said, Jared, that's going to be really awkward. I've done some weddings. I've never seen anything like this. I said, you want me just to keep them there and preach to them? And he says, yes. And here's why. They can't leave until you tell them they can leave. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, this is what he wants. It's his wedding. It's his show. I'll do it. But in that crowd were my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, my friends. I would see these people on holidays and family get-togethers. And as I announced them as husband and wife and dismissed them, and as I was about to head into preaching, out of the corner of my eye, I saw that one particular family member who still to this day is antagonistic towards what I believe. Says that I'm out here in Las Vegas wasting my time. Nobody needs that Jesus stuff here or there. I said a quick prayer and I preached for five minutes. And when it came time for the reception, I remember thinking we were going to sip ourselves. Nobody's going to talk to us. When all of a sudden one of my family members came up to me and said, that was a heck of a message. Except he didn't use heck. And another one used an explicitive and said I wasn't as bad as they thought I was. And since that time, because of that event... I've had story after story of family members in my life who are now walking with Jesus because my brother decided to glorify Jesus at his wedding, not him and his wife. Paul or Peter tells us none of us should be surprised when that happens. None of us should be surprised. Why? Listen to what he says in verses 16 through 21. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you've got a Bible, I'll open and underline that. On your sons and your daughter, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the, of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now the crowd Peter is talking to is in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Most likely, all those who are there would know the prophet Joel. They would know this text. They would also probably quote some passages from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But what do each one of these passages talk about? That when the Spirit comes upon the earth, He is not going to come upon just certain individuals. He's not going to come upon those who we would look at and go, of course He would come upon them. Because that person's got talent. But rather, what does Joel say? The Spirit will come upon all people who trust in Christ. Sons and daughters, old and young, men and women, those in high positions and those in low positions. All of those who trust in Jesus are going to be filled with the Spirit. Jeremiah says, the least to the greatest will be full of the Spirit. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, but yeah, the Spirit calls some people to be pastors and some to be deacons and different roles in the church. And I would say yes and amen. But we can't miss what's happening here. 
The Spirit doesn't just fall upon the apostles, but the 120. The Spirit, we're going to see, is going to fall upon 3,000. For what purpose? To know Jesus and to make Jesus known. You see, Luke tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be what? Saved. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 14, that people cannot come to know Jesus unless what? Us who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit tell them. Mission Luke tells us that Peter was standing with the eleven. They had been waiting and praying in a room for the promise to come. And as soon as the promised Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? What do they do? They step outside and they begin to preach. Do not miss the formula, if you will. They wait, they pray, Spirit comes, they go. They wait, they pray, Spirit comes, they go. And as you and I pray, knowing that the Spirit's purpose in our lives is to bring us to Jesus, to grow us up in Jesus, to give us gifts to serve Jesus' people, and to empower us to share Jesus with others, as we pray, knowing that's the Spirit's purpose, I believe you and I will look for opportunities to tell other people. That same brother who told me I had to preach Jesus at his wedding. Before he was married, he was in high school. He called me on my phone and he was hysterical. He was weeping like heaving. And I said, Jared, what is wrong? Calm down. And finally, when I got him to calm down, he told me he was in a coffee shop. And a girl from his school walked in and they got into a conversation about Jesus. However, as much as he would tell her about Jesus, she kept rejecting him. He was just screaming over the phone, Travis, Travis, she won't listen, she won't listen, she won't listen. You see, my brother, before he knew Jesus, wasn't weeping because people weren't coming to Christ. He was weeping because Kentucky didn't win the national championship. Before he knew Jesus, he was all about Kentucky, basketball, trucks, girls, and his friends. But as soon as he became a Christian, the Spirit indwelled him. What was he worried about? Other people coming to know. Why? Because that is a Spirit-filled Christian, friends. A Spirit-filled Christian is one who's been saved by Jesus, growing to be more like Jesus, given gifts to serve Jesus' people. But don't neglect this part. Empower to be on Jesus' mission. Now, when my brother called me, we don't know. We don't know if that girl ever came to know Jesus. But is that a failure on my brother's part? Absolutely not. You might remember from last week that when the Spirit fell upon the, the apostles and all those people, what ended up happening? Some people were like, I want to know more about this. Other people were like joking around saying they're drunk, right? Some people received, some people rejected. But what are you and I called to do? What is my brother called to do? Just be a faithfully empowered Christian by the Spirit and just share. And perhaps you're thinking, I don't know what to share about Jesus because I don't know Jesus. I don't know anything about him. Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't just tell us, or Peter doesn't just tell us why he shared. He's going to tell us what he shared. He's going to preach his sermon. Now, everybody, take a deep breath in your mask. Exhale. 
We read five verses a second ago. I told you we're going to read, read a lot of scripture. We're going to read 14 now. Who's with me? You guys good? I can't see your mouths. I can just see your heads nod, and sometimes you're blinking at me. Okay, that's all I see. Okay? So let's go. Verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it's not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Everybody breathe. You good? Let's keep going. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor that did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are with all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured this out. Pour out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now, I know that's a lot of text, but I think it's obvious that you and I can get the point of Peter's sermon. He's talking about current events. It's been about 50 days since Jesus has resurrected. He's been gone, right, for about 10, but, but for about 50 days he has resurrected. He looks at the crowd and he says, you guys know what's going on here. Peter tells the gathered crowd about Jesus, the God-man, who became one of us, a human. He was embodied and enfleshed in space and place. They have seen Jesus heal people of leprosy and other diseases. They have seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw Jesus crucified. Peter looks at him and says, you guys know this. I'm not speaking about anything you are unaware of. But why did Jesus die? Peter tells them. He tells you and me. Jesus died by God's plan but also as a result of human hands. The death of Jesus was God's plan. The scriptures are clear. Before time began, God had a plan to send His Son to rescue and redeem all those who would believe in Him. Jesus was not God's plan B, C, or D. Plan A from the beginning. Before He even created. Got it? But listen to what He says here. Though it was God's plan, it was executed by what? Human hands. 
And it's not like God had to be like Leo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception and go in a dream and put implant this knowledge in their head. Rather, these people were doing the very thing they wanted to do. Therefore, they are accountable. And mission, so are we. You see, Peter not only showed this from the book of Joel, he also showed this from the Psalms of David. In his message, he preaches from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. You might remember that Peter had just spent 40 days with Jesus learning from him. If you look in Luke chapter 24, it says that Jesus opened his followers' minds to understand how the law, the prophets, and the Psalms pointed to him. The Bible, guys, is not about us. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about what He is doing through His Son, Jesus, for His glory to bring us back to Him. Joel preached about it. David preached about it. Jeremiah preached about it. Ezekiel preached about it. And Peter says, guess what? I'm just lifting off of their shoulders what they preached about. So many of us, we go over to 1 Samuel 17. And in that, we hear a famous story that many people know about David and Goliath, right? And so many times you hear that story as Goliath being your hurt, habit, and hang-up. That whatever is going on in your life, you can overcome it if you have the faith of David. The problem with that is David and Goliath is not about you. It's not about me. Goliath steps on the stage. He looks at Israel, the armies of God. And what does he say? Send out your best warrior to fight me. And if he kills me, we will become your servants. But if he wins, we'll, or if he wins, we will become your servants. I'm getting a little confused here. What am I saying? Oh, but if I beat him, guess what? You'll become our slaves, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? I kind of butchered it. Everybody with me? Yeah. Goliath wins, Israel slaves. David wins, uh, Philistines are their slaves. Okay, got it? Got it? Got it? How long does, does Goliath taunt? Days on end, and nobody will go out there. And then all of a sudden, this young, handsome, ruddy-looking man, who's a shepherd boy, who's full of the Spirit of God, comes onto the battlefield, can't even fit into the armor of any of the soldiers. He goes out there with five smooth stones, and he slays Goliath. And what happens in that moment? All of Israel is victorious. Did they even have to lift a hand in the battle? No. David's victory is imputed to them. David's victory becomes their victory. One goes for the all so that the all can be victorious. Think about that in regards to Jesus. Jesus goes to take out the only Goliath that can destroy you and me, and that is Satan, sin, and death. And on that cross, he nailed that death to himself, bearing not his guilt, but our guilt. But he rose again victorious, so that all those who believe in him, what? Are made right with God. Victorious because Jesus was victorious without even lifting a finger. That's what David is preaching when he kills Goliath. It's not about our hurt, habits, and hang-ups. It's about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. You see, Peter says that David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. In some way, David saw the ascended Lord. In some way, he knew that the resurrected Jesus would be the one who would sit on his throne for eternity. 
admission, if you and I were to go to Jerusalem right now, we would see the casket of David that's believed to be there. How do I know? I looked it up on Google this week, and Google can't lie, right? right. <laughs> it was there. They believe his bones are there. Yet David says, we won't find Jesus in a casket. He will be raised from the dead. And Peter says that all you, all those you hear right now who are preaching are ones who have witnessed the fact that he has risen from the grave. All of us in here this evening are going to die. And I know what you're thinking. Gee, thanks. I'm so glad I came tonight. But it's the truth. You and I, our bodies are going to see decay. And what you have to understand is that Jesus became human, lived a perfectly human life in devotion to God, died as a human, rose from the grave to conquer Satan, sin, and death. Why? So that all those who believe in him shall not perish. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the glory of God. Some of us are here. Some of us are here. Some of us are way down here. Some of us are right here. But what are we all under? We're all under the glory of God. We haven't met that mark. Paul says in Romans 6.23, he says this. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is a wage? A wage is something you and I earn. But, and you've got to love, you've heard me say this before, you've got to love the big butts of the Bible. Because they do not lie. What comes after that but? Really good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus the God-man took on flesh and became human and lived and died and rose as a human. Why? So that all those who believe in Him would receive eternal life. Friends, Jesus had to become like us in order to save us. Hebrews 10, 4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Why is that? It's because animals and people are not equivalent. It had to be like for like. In order to represent us, Jesus had to take our place Jesus had to become a real person. If you go to the Olympics, in order to represent a country, you have to be what? From that country. But you also have to be something more than just from that country. You have to be what? Human, right? You have to be human. There is no doubt in my mind that if I was to go to the zoo, which is not here, I don't even know if we have one, but like San Diego Zoo, and I was to get a cheetah, that cheetah would be Hussein Bolt in the 100 meters all day, right? But that cheetah would be disqualified. For what reason? Wrong DNA. In order to represent your country in the Olympics, you have to be from there, and you have to be human. And so to represent us and to suffer in our place, Jesus had to become human. Since we have flesh and blood, he too took on flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.4 talks about this. Jesus was born into this world as a member of the human race. In his entire ministry, he wore our colors. He wore our jersey. He won for us. So that belief in him, we can be made right with God. You see, Jesus didn't just die. 
if all that was required, if all that we saw was that Jesus died on the cross, what we would have is nothing more than an extravagant display of love with no what? Hope. But the fact that Jesus rose from the grave shows that he was victorious, but it also shows that we too are one day going to be resurrected. David said it. Ezekiel said it. Jeremiah said it. Isaiah said it. And Peter says it. This is his message to all of these people. They're there celebrating the Passover, the sacrificial lamb. He says, I know the lamb. They're celebrating Pentecost, God's provision and sustaining grace in their lives. And he goes, I know the best sustaining grace and best provision that God has supplied. His name is Jesus. Trust in Jesus. How do we do that? Last few verses and we'll finish up. Peter knows how to stop a sermon. And some of you are like, Josh, you don't know how to stop a sermon. Take a note from Peter. Okay, let's go. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Underline that. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Underline that. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter tells them and us that we have sinned against God and against Jesus. We are culpable for Jesus' death. But why did Jesus have to die? I told you to underline it. For the forgiveness of sin. Not his sin, but our sin. Jesus died because of their sin and our sin to forgive those who trust in him. People have come up and asked me before, why does God have to require Jesus to die? Why can't he just forgive and forget? Just sweep it under the rug. It's because that's not what forgiveness is. You see, in order for somebody to be truly forgiven, somebody has to eat the cost. Let's say my son, who is about to drive in a year, after getting his driver's license, decides to run his car through my garage door. I could look at my son and I could say, son, I forgive you. But what is still left there? A damaged door. In order for me to truly forgive my son for destroying my garage door, what do I have to do? Eat the cost of the door. I have to absorb it within me. I have to pay for it. Through his life, death, and resurrection, that's what Jesus was doing. Friends, he was eating the cost of your sin. He was eating the cost of the sins of all those who believe in him. And the question is, when you have to stand before God on that last day, when he comes back, who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in you to eat the cost of your sin? Are you trusting in the one God sent to eat the cost of your sin? Somebody has to eat the cost. It's either you or it's Jesus. And how do you receive that? Well, Peter tells us you repent. Repentance, guys, is not just a big theological word we just yawn at. Nor is it a word that you and I are supposed to be afraid of. Repentance simply means to turn around. 
That if I'm walking in this direction, I repent, I turn back in this direction. And what you have to understand is that when God tells you to repent, He's not merely just saying, stop it. He's saying, return back to me, right? To turn from your way, your sinful way, your wants, your desires that you find are not bringing you to God, but alienating from God. He's not just saying, stop it. He's saying, return back to me. Come home. I picture God as a loving father with his hands out, just saying, repent, come home, turn to me. This is a wonderful word, friends, that sweetly draws us back to our Father. And those who repented and trusted in this forgiveness of Jesus eating the cost of their sin, what does Peter say? We're baptized. And when you think of baptism, baptism is outwardly expressing an inward reality. That these people were baptized in the Greek, it could be for, or it could just simply mean because of the forgiveness of their sins. That as they're taken under the water, what does that symbolize? Jesus' death in a tomb. And as you're brought up out of the water, what are you? What does that symbolize? Jesus' resurrection. So as you are taken under the water, you're basically saying, Jesus' death is my only hope of being made right with God. And literally, if somebody doesn't pull you back up, you're going to die, right? I was baptized in a pond in Kentucky. Some of you guys have heard me talk about this. My dad, when he baptized me, held me under for a long time. And he was like, i got to get it all out of him. I'm like, that's not what it means. <laughs> Baptism isn't what saves you. It points to the object of your salvation, which is a him. His name is Jesus. Buried with him. And you rise knowing he's victorious. And I'm trusting in him as my only hope. And all of those who trusted in Jesus to eat the cost of their sin, Peter says what? It's full of the Holy Spirit. Mission. The Spirit is empowering you to share. We're going to see that all of those who received the Spirit, received what God has done, went on sharing Jesus with everyone they met. We're going to see here in chapter 8, that when persecution comes upon the church, who went into the other most parts of the earth? Not the leaders, but average, everyday, ordinary Christians sharing an extraordinary message in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church has always advanced. The gospel has always gone forward through average, everyday, ordinary people with sweaty hands, a dry mouth, and feel like they're going to pee their pants. Just trying to faithfully share the gospel, not in their power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus because one man was just faithful to share. May we be a church that is empowered to faithfully share. For His glory, our joy, and the defeat of the enemy. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that as we go throughout this season, in which there is so much disunity and chaos and anger, I pray, Father, that you give us, empower us, to share that greater message of hope. 
that we worship a king who does not abdicate his throne. We worship a king who cannot be voted off his throne or voted on his throne because it's his throne. And so, God, I pray that through your power and through the Holy Spirit, we can share the message of the good king who has come to reach a people, young and old, male and female, from all over the world into his kingdom. So Jesus, may we be a church called Mission Church that is about your mission. For your glory, our joy, and the good of the community around us. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all in his name.